Welcome to the 48th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League Baseball and check in with our NBA playoff predictions. So let's jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball, as always, starting with the National League West. Patrick? In the National League West, we have the Giants in the lead, the Padres are in second, and the Dodgers are in third, and the Rockies are in fourth, and the Arizona Diamondbacks are sitting in fifth, almost with an honor that would, that well, not really an honor, but uh, the distinguished <laughs> distinguished position of very last record in the league. Uh, yeah, not, not actually that much of an honor. I, I shouldn't have said that. Um... But yeah, the Giants are one game ahead of the Padres and two ahead of the Dodgers. The Rockies are 12 and a half back of the Giants. The Giants are 35 and 21. The Padres have 35 wins, but they have 30, 23 losses. Excuse me. The Dodgers have 33 wins, but they also have 23 losses. So overall, you have the Dodgers and the Giants playing uh, the same amount of games. The Dodgers with the same amount of losses as the Padres. But two, but uh, fully two games behind the Giants with an equal amount of games played. Whereas you have the Padres who have the same amount of wins as San Francisco, but in those two extra games that they played, if you want to uh, put it like this, they've lost those two quote unquote extra games. Uh, overall, there's a I mean this division is crazy. You have three teams with uh, plus 67 or better run differentials, which actually all three of them are in the top three in the league. San Francisco is tied with Tampa Bay for third best, or excuse me, uh, all top four in the league, I should say. Uh, the Dodgers are first in the league at plus 83. The White Sox are second at plus 82. We'll get to them later. But uh, then the Padres and the Giants are only trailing the White Sox and the Dodgers for best run differentials in baseball. The Padres with a plus 76, and the San Francisco tied with Tampa Bay at plus 67 for tied for fourth best in the league. Really just goes to show you how much skill is in this division. Uh, a lot of these teams, well, I'll say I'll say the Dodgers dominated one series against the Giants. The Giants dominated the next. The Giants and the Padres had both three-game series, or all three three-game series this year, have one team take at least one game. Uh, no sweeps so far in that, in that uh, matchup of series. Uh, but look... It's going to stay close for the rest of the year. If there's any team that I would pick to fall out of this and make this only a two-team race, I would obviously pick the Giants, just due to how, how good we know the Dodgers and the Padres are. But, you know, I could see really any number of teams winning this division, uh, except for the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. And I think the key thing is that Cody Bellinger and Zach McKinstry returned. Uh, Cody Bellinger getting six RBIs in the top of the first, which was actually a record-setting top of the first. Other, which in, in the uh, regular season for the Dodgers, 11 runs. Of course, the team that they're playing as we speak, um, <laughs> they put, I think, 13 on them in a playoff game. But who cares about playoff records when you have regular season records, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, 11 runs in the first inning for the Dodgers against the Cardinals. They really they really um, played pretty well against the Cardinals. After Took two out losing, of three? Yeah, after losing a series against the Giants and... Look to take a series off the struggling under 500 Braves. Yeah, you said the uh, Giants dominated that series against the Dodgers. That series really could have turned on a few defensive plays there. There was a game, a, a, a walk-off robbing uh, catch by the Giants in the second game of the series that sent the game into extra innings. 
Dodgers would have won the first two games of the series. But I agree with you. Yes, but games-wise, they're now yeah, at 4-3 and three in the season. Correct. And that doesn't happen after one team sweeps the series unless yeah. the other team dominates the next one. They dominated in terms of wins and losses. It could have easily gone the other way. I, I The interesting thing about this division, as you pointed out, you've got these three teams. I think all three of these teams are very happy with where they are, oddly enough. Of course, the Giants... Told them at the beginning of the season they'd be leading the division at this point. They'd be ecstatic. Even by two games, yeah. The, if you, place, if you told the Padres they'd be tied in the win column with the first place team. And a better game than back, the Do- and, and, and be- above the Dodgers. And yeah. above the Dodgers, they'd be they happy. they definitely say, well, who out of the three is going to be, who out of the rest of the three is going to be ahead of us? We'll catch up to them. And then if you told the Dodgers, look, you'd, you'd have been without Cody Bellinger and McKinstry. You know, 15 in a 20 game streak. And, and yeah, and be out and, and also be missing Corey Seager at the time. And AJ Pollock and had Dustin May go on the disabled list and David. I mean, they, the Dodgers are probably pretty happy with where they are. I think all three of these teams are happy with where they are. Well, if you want to go in as injury deep as uh, AJ Pollock, you should probably mention the fact that San Diego had Tatis, Will Myers, yeah. and a lot of other guys out with COVID, and then also Denelson Lamette just, I believe, returned. I feel like I saw him on a scoreboard somewhere. Um, but he was out for a while too. He's a pretty. I mean, that's a that's a pivotal piece of their rotation. And uh, look, they Chris Paddock has been incredibly inconsistent this season. If you ever look at any Padres fans on Twitter, they always there's always some meme about, uh oh, Chris Paddock starting a day at time for time for a roller coaster of a game, and it always seems to turn out that way. Um, he's either really really good or really really bad, but. In the end, I think they're happy to get Lamette back, maybe in Paddock's place, maybe maybe to kind of bounce them off each other, move one to the bullpen, who knows what's going to happen. But I think the Padres would say, hey, we've been injured too. Yep. Um, especially because we're talking about Tatis' records this season. He He's only played 40 games this season, and this team has already played 58. So he hasn't. he's played two-thirds of the season, and they're still in second place. I agree with you. They would be very, very happy. Yeah, and by the way, for those of you out there who haven't seen Fernando Tatis play, even if you're not a baseball fan, you got to watch this guy play. He is just—he's exciting. He's well, talented. he makes he makes baseball more interesting than baseball normally is too. He does, but he's just a phenomenal player, both in terms of sort of his spirit and attitude towards the game and his playing ability. It's unbelievable. Uh, it's pretty scary considering how young he is. Um, it's a very—it's a very. Uh... I, I don't want to compare him because it's, it's he's like three years in the league, but there are a few players that you get you just see them and you get the feeling, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And yeah. he's the one, I think he's one of maybe two or three that I see in the MLB, at least hitters-wise. <laughs> there's a very obvious guy in the pitching ranks, but um, I, I think hitting-wise, he's one of those guys that you see and you go, uh-oh, first and second, no one out, well, we're about to be down 3 nothing Or... We should walk him and load the bases, almost like Barry, Barry Bonds in his heyday. And he is getting that Barry Bonds treatment a lot, especially in extra innings where you start People with the man on second him base. In, in, in some very unusual circumstances, yeah. Extra innings, man on second base, he's up. You walk him to, to put runners on first and second. All right, I don't know if you have anything else for the NL West. We can move to the NL Central. Although I will say one thing I would like to add about the NL West the team with the best home record, or close to it actually, it's the Rockies. The Rockies are 19 and 12 at home. But they're four and twenty-two on the road. <laughs> that might be, so. We should research. That might be the worst it, road percentage in if the history this were, of baseball. If this were to continue, that would probably up there. Not not even be up there. Not even just in baseball, but probably in all sports. I mean, it's hard. Well, to find Well, Detroit a team. Lions went zero and eight. 
Okay, that's true. But I <laughs> but I'm saying in the discrepancy between home and and away. Yeah, there you go. The very um, the, the very the very yeah. I, I, I'm I'm saying the discrepancy because it's very odd to have a positive record home or away, and then not have a positive record on the other side even. Um, but I mean, even the Dodgers who had struggles on the road and played, I think. 12 games on the road in a row during that 5-15 and 15 streak, even they are still 14-13 and 13 on the road in the season. So when you think about it that way, going 4-22 on the road overall is crazy. Um, if they were going to continue this for the rest of the season and you end up at maybe 40-30 and 30 or something like that, something in that realm, 45-35, and 35, and then, I don't know, 20 and 60, that would definitely be a really 60, bad differential. They're, they're kind of on a, let's see, 26 games times sort of four, three and a half. They're on a place to go, pace to go like 12 and, or 10 and, 10 yeah, and 61 I, on the road or something crazy. I have to say, I don't think that they're going to lose that many games that they'll be that bad though, because that would leave them as an 100 loss team. So I'm going to give them more credit than that because there are 100 loss teams in the league and it's not the Rockies. Yeah. Although I, I would tell you, if you asked average, a well informed sports fan, Guess of any team in major league sports, what has the biggest differential between home and road performance? I think a lot of people would guess the Colorado Rockies just because of the advantage that they have in their home ballpark and the different factors there. So, Although if you look at their pitching staff, you might assume the opposite because they might need the help of not being in the altitude because you'd think that other people would come into the building and just start mashing home runs off of them. So yeah. it kind of goes both ways. All right, so shall we move to the NL Central? Yes. All right. In the NL Central, we have... Uh, a new a new face, the Chicago Cubs in first. Well, I guess they were tied last week, um, and then the St. Louis Cardinals in second, the Brewers in third, the Reds in fourth, and the Pirates in fifth. Okay, I'm finally getting to the point where I think I understand this division. I've watched some games in this division this week, doing my homework on it a little bit because I have been very confused as to who I want to pick. Uh, most of the homework is mostly because the Cardinals were playing the Dodgers and. Uh, the Cubs were playing the Padres, and now they're playing the Giants, so indirectly affecting the Dodgers. Uh, so I've been watching those two teams mainly because they're playing teams in our division. However, I still think that I was going to try to watch some of these games because I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, a few weeks ago, not a few weeks ago, maybe three, four weeks ago, towards the beginning of the season, the Brewers were running away with the division. The Cardinals were barely above 500. The Cubs were below 500 and the worst hitting team in baseball. Uh, they were pretty much bottom five in every single hitting stat. Then two weeks ago, the Cardinals were up. The Brewers were below 500. The, the Cubs were barely above. The Reds were above 500. And the Pirates were in fourth over the Brewers. And now we have the Cubs sitting at the top. So I'd, I would say I have no idea what's going on. But after finally watching the division, I think I understand. The Cardinals have no bullpen. Beyond three guys, and even the three guys can get beat up a little bit, as the Dodgers did if they're playing a good lineup. The Cubs have very, very inconsistent home run dependent hitting, which means that they will go on 10 run, ten game win streaks, and then they'll also go on 10 game losing streaks. Uh, and then the Brewers are the more steady team. They have good pitching, a good bullpen, and good hitting. Uh, overall, who do I say comes out on top? Well, and Pittsburgh uh, stinks. Okay, yeah, that's the other thing, yes. And and the Reds have two hitters and nobody else on their team entirely. Um, I will say, if you ask me who I think comes out on top, I'll just have to be stubborn and stick with who I picked preseason, which is the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I, I, can't, I mean, I can't really justify picking anybody else, although I don't think I would anyway, but 
Yeah, I think this is. I think I'll stay with the Cardinals for now. The Cubs are up by one and a half on on St. Louis. The Cubs have a thirty-two and twenty-four record. St. Louis is thirty-one and twenty-six. Milwaukee is thirty and twenty-six. Uh, Cincinnati is twenty-five and twenty-nine. Uh, Pittsburgh is twenty-one and thirty-four. But I will say. Uh, the Cubs have a plus 33 run differential. The Cardinals and the Brewers both have minus 12 differentials, which is pretty bad for a team above 500. Uh, and the Cardinals are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. The Brewers are 7-3 and three in their last 10. And Chicago's 8-2 in their last 10. So overall, these teams are kind of just swinging around. Neither of them are having, or not any of the three, of, are having really, really, really bad stretches. But the Cubs have had a really good stretch. And up until actually yesterday, they were 9-1 and one in their last 10 before they lost to the Giants, and I believe they were on, I think, a six-game or seven-game win streak before uh, a loss earlier this week to the Padres. Yeah, one interesting thing, if you take a little deeper dive into the standings, the Cubs have played six more home games than away games, and they're 11 games above 500 at home and three games below 500 on the road, whereas the Cardinals have played five more road games than home games, and they're above 500 each, so that might be something to look out for, see when the Cubs even out their home and away, how do things shake out? I will say that, as I said, they're a very home run dependent team, which kind of is what their problem. Uh, uh, if you probably look at their schedule, I think it's more of when their streaks happened. I think at the beginning of the season, they started on the road a lot, and they had a huge losing streak and were way under 500 to start the season. Yep. And in this winning streak, they have been at home for a long, long time. Uh and also, I would say I expect that home record to stay the same because they're now allowing 100% capacity in Chicago for both teams. But right now, we're only talking about the Cubs. But that would definitely help the Cubs. And as anybody knows who's who's seen a game at Wrigley before or who watches it on TV, they don't actually have 100% capacity. They have about 115% capacity because they have high-rise buildings around the city right behind the stadium that actually have stadium seats uh, that you can watch the game from. So they are going to have more capacity than anybody else in the league. But uh, I think Chicago will probably stay in second. I, I'm, I'm starting to have faith that they'll finish above the Brewers, but I still will hold on to my Cardinals pick for now. All right, anything else before we move to the NL East? Nope, let's uh, move on to the NL East then. Jacob deGrom is back, and he's not pitching against single A anymore. Uh, Cardinals fans know what I'm talking about. They also had to pitch against Noah Syndergaard. Speaking of Noah Syndergaard, Noah Syndergaard did have an injury setback. I don't know if we talked about this on the last uh, last podcast, uh, but I think his timetable is now six or five or six weeks. Uh, they were hoping to get him back earlier, I believe, from Tommy John surgery that happened over a year ago now. But any baseball fan knows Tommy John surgery takes a long time to recover from. Uh, but Degrom is back. He finished with the best ERA through the month of May or through the end of the month of May. Since I believe uh, 1964, I want to say was the year. Um, he has a sub one ERA. I believe it's .71 currently. Um, and hey, they won a game when he was pitching, and they also have a positive run differential. Finally, the Mets are doing things regularly. When your pitcher has a .71 ERA, you'd think he would lead the league in wins, but actually, two Dodgers pitchers who have ERAs in the threes are actually tied with him in wins. So it's a little strange. Um, He's getting, they're getting run support. He isn't. 
Well, but I would say that the Mets aren't much worse than the Dodgers record-wise either, so it's not even just he's playing on a bad team. Uh, it's it's really appalling how it happens. I don't know what I don't know what's going on with it, but it's been a thing for a while for the Mets. But moving on to the rest of the division, uh, the Mets are in first at twenty-seven and twenty-two. The Braves are in second at twenty-six and twenty-eight. Although I think they might drop out of second because they're playing the Dodgers this weekend. Um, the Phillies are in third at twenty-six and twenty-nine. The Marlins are in fourth at 24 and 31. The Nationals are in last at 23 and 30. And yes, for those of you who have listened to our past podcast, the Marlins still do have a positive run differential, uh, despite now being seven games under 500. Uh, and on a six-game losing streak, mind you, they have still kept their positive run differential. They must have the most one-run loss games in the league. I haven't looked, but I think the Dodgers do. But well, maybe outside of the Dodgers, they might. Um, I, I, it's really crazy how this has happened with them. And uh, I, again, I don't have an explanation for it. But I will say, thank God the Mets are finally at number one in run differential in this division. I feel like this division now has a clearer picture. At plus five. I, at plus five, <laughs> which isn't very great, but. I think I forget who said this, so I don't want to. I don't want to copy, but somebody did say I was listening to it that nobody wants to win the NL East right now, and that's the way that it looks. Um, other than the Mets, who can't get a run in Degrom starts, nobody wants to win it. And if you want to talk about games at home versus games on the road, the Mets are fifteen and five at home, but they're twelve and seventeen on the road. They have played nine more road games than home games. If they start to get more home games, which obviously they will eventually, uh, maybe you start to see them win some more games, like win even more games, and maybe start to even pull away from the from the Braves in this division. Because as far as we are into the season, yes, you can turn around a slow start. The Nationals proved that when they won the title. But look, we're getting almost 60 games in the season now. It's getting a little too late to start uh, to keep hoping for a turnaround. At some point, we got to see the product on the field. And... I don't know if they have that in them. I, I think they're just, they're a little beat up, and I think maybe even the Dodgers, maybe even their choke to the Dodgers, allowing the Dodgers to get to the World Series, might have even drained the team a little bit. Uh, I don't know, but now you also have Marcelo Zuna injured. A lot of key pieces are gone, and look, they j- I don't know what they're going to do to keep up in the meantime. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at the National League. Let's turn it over to the American League, and again, we will start on the West Coast. Your thoughts on the AL West? Well, you think that the run differential of the Mets is bad at 27 and 22. The A's will raise you one more. They're only at plus one at 33 and 25, although they're finally positive. They, look, look, the A's and the Mets are at positive run differential. Now every single division leader is has a positive run differential. <laughs> that one. is really, really, really normal. Incredibly normal, actually. I, it might be... It, I, I don't know that much about baseball history, but it could be a record for, for how long... Know that that first place teams did not all have positive run differentials because it's very hard to lead a division when scoring less runs than your opponents on average over the season. Yes, but moving aside from that, uh, the A's are in first at thirty three and twenty five. The Astros are in for, are in second at thirty one and twenty five. Uh, the Mariners are in third at twenty nine and twenty nine. The Angels are in la- are in fourth at twenty five and thirty one, and the Rangers are in last at twenty two and thirty six. Uh, a lot of interesting things in this division. The A's are seventeen and seventeen at home and sixteen and eight on the road. Um, overall, they actually have the same amount of runs scored as the fourth place Angels do, but they have uh, what's that? Fifty about fifty less runs given up. 
So it, it's really interesting what's going on with the A's, but I guess that just shows you that their team is very, very pitching reliant. Um, although I will say, if you look at the top three in the NL West, they are nowhere close to the to the zone that uh, those three teams are in. They're fifty runs off of the of off of the off of the Dodgers, Giants, and Padres about. So. Their pitching is good, but not great, and I guess you could say the same thing about their hitting, and that's why you overall have a plus-one run differential. But in the end, who cares? Because they're eight games above five hundred, and uh, I'd say they probably want to figure out how to win a game at home. It would be it would be pretty pretty good, maybe to their fans, who they might or might not be leaving in the next few years anyway. Uh, but I don't know who's going to come out on top of this division. I mean... The Astros are same place in the loss column that the A's are. Look, it's the same thing that I was talking about before. It feels exactly like the NL East. It's like, well, not no one, not no one's gonna, not we don't know who's gonna win. I should say the NL Central. Um, you know that there are two very, 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 very strong contenders. But even the teams at the bottom have some talent to them. I mean, the Angels didn't go out and get Anthony Rendon just to finish in fourth. Um, but. It's kind of odd, this division. I, I really can't put a, a pick on the A's or the Astros. I think the last 20 minutes of my preseason power rankings were spent A's, Astros, A's, Astros. And I was going to have them same whatever and then just flip-flop between them. I had no idea who was going to put ahead of the other. And look, I still don't know who I have ahead of the other. I, I'll say the A's, but catch me next week and I might say I said the Astros and I might say I said it last week too. <laughs> Yeah, you're and you're with your focus on run differential, which is over time a great predictor. The Mariners at five hundred, yet run differential of negative fifty, the worst run differential division. That's just there's a lot of craziness going on in in, in this division. So. It's uh, it's reminiscent of the Royals who were minus se- who were minus seven uh, as they they started their eleven game losing streak, but they were only in the second game of that losing streak, and they were still two games above 500 and actually three days away from having the best record in baseball. And they still had a negative run differential. And it just looked like, uh, this team is not that talented and they're getting, and they, they have a really bad run differential. Is this going to happen? Are they going to go downwards at some point? And eventually they did. We'll get to the Royals in a second. Um, but also if you want to talk about run differential, the Astros are plus 58, uh, which would indicate that they will pull ahead of the A's. But then again, Look, the A's went on a 13-game winning streak at the beginning of the season, took the best record in baseball, and still had a negative run differential. So I think this team is just immune to the effects of run differential. Yep. Anything else before we move to the AL Central? Let's move on then. In the AL Central, at the very, very top, you have the Chicago White Sox, 34-22. and 22, Vying for a bit is the best team in baseball overall, actually, you could argue. Um They have a plus 82 run differential, only one behind the Dodgers for best in the league. Um, you have Cleveland in second at 30 and 24. There are three games back. Uh, Kansas City is in third at 28 and 26. The Tigers are somehow not in last at 23 and 33. Actually, I do know how. Um, and the Twins are in last at 22 and 34. So look, the Twins look were looking up for a week uh, or, or two and you know they're still five and five in their last 10. But they are now on a three-game losing streak, uh, so who knows what's going on with the Twins? It's really hard to pinpoint what could be the issue. I know Michael Pineda had a pretty rough start uh, a few days ago, and I think they're just having trouble putting all the pieces together. 
Uh, some injuries have held them back, but now they're starting to get their key pieces back, which is why they started to click. And then all of a sudden, they just stopped clicking randomly. It's really hard to figure out what's going on with them. It's also really hard to figure out how the Tigers were so very bad in the middle of the season. I get, well, not in the middle of the season. We're not even close to the middle of the season. But the middle of the part of the season that has happened so far. And then all of a sudden, come back and just sweep the Yankees when the Yankees are very, very hot. Um... It's really, really strange. This division is strange, although there's one thing that isn't very strange in this division, and it's the Chicago White Sox. Uh, they've given up the second least runs uh, in total in the entire league. Their pitching staff is amazing, and they can hit, too. I mean, it's not like this is all just a pitching team. This isn't a team that's going to score two runs per game and somehow still win. This is a team that not only can pitch, but can hit. They, they can Literally, they can just do everything. Um, I don't have any words to describe how good the White Sox are, especially when we think about uh, relative to expectations. You thought the Twins might walk away with this division. Uh, I was actually pretty close to picking the Twins instead of the White Sox to win this division at the beginning of the year. Uh, I actually was thinking of it as close as the Astros and the A's, although right now it looks pretty cut and dry that the Twins are just too far behind, 12 games to be exact, to turn that around even if they do start playing better. Um, which I think they will eventually, but I don't know if it'll be enough. And if you look at the AL East, which we'll talk about in a second, there's not much room to get a wild card spot. Um, but yeah, the White Sox have been really, really good this season. The Indians have been pretty decent. Um, I, I, I'm saying decent as they're 30 and 24. They're pretty good too. But when you have the White Sox as the comparison, it, it's not very hard to get any. It, it's not very easy to get any credit. Yeah, I think the Twins. Probably the biggest uh, surprise to the negative in baseball this year so far. And the rest of the division is kind of shaking out the way people expected it. So let's move on and talk about the American League East. You mentioned the Yankees a little bit and their struggles with the Tigers. Uh, what else is going on in that division? Well, you have Tampa Bay at number one with actually the best record in the entire league. I guess tied technically if you want to go by games back with the Giants. but they do they do And they have a slightly worse winning percentage. So I guess technically they're the second best record. But... I don't care much for that. Uh, they are at 36 and 22. You have Boston in second at 33 and 23. You have the Yankees in third at 31 and 26. And you have the Blue Jays in fourth at 29 and 25. And there's a team at the bottom of this division called the Baltimore Orioles. I might uh, do what I was doing with the NL West uh, at the beginning of the season and just not even mention teams beyond number three uh, with this division, except for I will mention the Blue Jays, just probably not the Orioles because. Uh, 16 games back at this point in the year. I talked about the, the differential with the other teams last week uh, in the NL West, but look, 16, by the way, Arizona is 16 back of the Giants, but look, Baltimore has no chance of winning this division. Absolutely no chance. Worst record in baseball, and it's just not close. Um, they're 8-19 and at home even. They have a minus 62 run differential. They have a lot of problems, and their team just isn't very good. Even after going, even after going on a two-game win streak, they're still two and eight in their last, and I believe they had lost twelve in a row. While the Rays at the other end of the division had won twelve in a row. So look, there's a lot to talk about here outside of the Rays and the Orioles, though. I think the log jam in the middle is pretty interesting. Um, and look, we got the Red Sox and Yankees this weekend. Always a very fun series to watch. Probably the best uh, 
rivalry in baseball. Definitely. Uh, and it's and it's very very well. I mean, you're a Dodgers fan. Yeah, so but you it's can, historically you can be biased it's, and say yeah, the Giants. No, no, um, no, it's the best. But, it's the most historic best rivalry in baseball. That is true, but I will say that uh, recently you've had some of these teams kind of trending up, all the other trends down, but really really recent history you have both these teams being very very good and this year is no different than that so now we are, we're going to have a really good series between the Red Sox and the Yankees I actually did it with my weekend predictions and we'll see what goes on in that series all right well that l- wraps up our look at Major League Baseball this week let's turn our attention to the NBA with an update on the first round playoffs including a little revisiting of what our pr- predictions were for those series Patrick, let's start in the East with uh, number one Philadelphia against the number eight Washington Wizards. I picked Philadelphia in five games. That is exactly what happened. Um, I think the Joel Embiid injury helped me, though, because uh, that was trending towards sweep until he went out in that in that game four, although they still did win game five without him. Uh, you, as we've talked about before, didn't really provide as a, uh, an amount of games, but you did have Philadelphia. I think that was pretty obvious. Um, and in the next series, I had Brooklyn in a sweep. You, again, did not provide an amount of games, but you also had Brooklyn. And based off of your knowledge and what I know your knowledge is, you probably also would have had them in a sweep, which would make us both wrong unless you want to take credit for saying that you'd give Boston a game. But I doubt it. I will take credit for saying that I did say the only way Boston wins a game is if Jason Tatum drops 50, and that's exactly what happened. He actually scored, I think it was 50 on the dot. Um, and they did win the game that he scored 50 in and won literally nothing else, um, except for a new front office overhaul. Um, they, they, Brooklyn won in five. Uh, moving on to the next series, Milwaukee won in four games. Obviously, neither of us had a sweep in that series. I, you were closer because you had Milwaukee in six. I had Milwaukee in seven. I will say some of my predictions are a little bit biased because I want things to end up this way. Uh, but... I, I didn't, even if I thought it was going to be a sweep, I still probably would have said five games just to make it a little more interesting. But no, uh, Milwaukee sweeps Miami. I think that was probably the most surprising result from the first round, I would say, uh, honestly. Just maybe not series winner-wise, but uh, the magnitude and the fashion in which the team won the se- a team won the series, I did not expect that series to end first out of all the playoff series that were going on. Definitely not. Um and then in the final series, yeah, I got I got the next one very wrong. I will admit that. Um, I would say that I would make a few excuses, but I don't need to. The real thing is I had belief in Julius Randle, and I think New York did too. And new defense thrown at him. Again, it's not all his fault. The rest of the team could have done a lot more too. But especially it looked like the new defenses had him kind of confused, and he wasn't ready to deal with the double teams. He was incredibly inefficient, even more inefficient than Trey Young, who's normally very, very inefficient for a volume. Uh, he's a volume scorer, as we call it. Um, but look, New York did not keep this series close. There were a few games that individually were close, but there were also a few games that weren't very close. Uh, and I had New York in seven, and you had Atlanta in seven. So we both had seven games, but I guess you got it correct, obviously, because you had Atlanta. Uh, moving on to the West... Uh, although I would like to mention one last thing. I'll mention it one more time. I did say Atlanta would win a game off of making a last shot, and I said that it still wouldn't matter, although, and it looked like that might be true because New York did win the game directly after that, but maybe if New York had a 2-0 lead, maybe they don't go out in five games. Actually, mathematically impossible for them to go out in five <laughs> games, but I think maybe they even win the series if they go up 2-0. Uh, 
anyway, moving on to the West, I had Utah in five games, which was correct again. You, for some reason, did not. I, I forget what order we did the podcast in, but uh, I guess I guess somehow the, the amount of games slipped by you in that one, too. But you obviously had Utah. Um, I don't know if you would have picked a sweep or not, but I'll say you could have given you could have given Memphis a, ga- a credit for one game, and I would say that if you told me that Donovan Mitchell would be out for a game, I might even said that Memphis would take this to six games just because they'd win the game where he was out and then win another one. But I, I had five, so I'll stick with my correction with my correct uh, prediction. I had the Lakers in five games, which was completely incorrect. Um, you had Phoenix in six, but then you changed it. So you actually hit the series right on the head, and then you changed it to something else. Yeah, I listened to you. You're smarter than I about the NBA, and you convinced me the Lakers were going to, once Anthony Davis came back, and then... Well, 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 you're getting the timeline wrong a little bit here. He actually, by when we changed, when we did our Even little back revising... Even back in No, when we did our revising of the podcast... The Lakers were up 2-1, and Chris Paul was still injured and playing That's limited right. minutes, and Anthony Davis was completely healthy, and so was KCP. Yeah, I mean, um, That series, I will say, I, I will do a little sidebar on this series, that series turned only on the basis of injuries. Yes. Um, it had nothing to do with home and away, although the home team did win more than the away team by, by, by far. Um but because the Lakers did win, well, actually no, because the Lakers won a game in won a game in Phoenix and won a game at home, and then Phoenix went uh, two and two at both places. But I will say that that's not how that math works. But yeah, <laughs> anyway, um, I, I do I, I do think that the series really was impacted by injuries. Um, and look, Chris Paul, as valuable as he is to the Suns, the way campaign played in that series was a lot more replaceable than Anthony Davis is and ever will be to the Lakers because their whole offense is built around LeBron and AD. Uh, and look, LeBron, as soon as you take away AD and the shooters on the team cannot make any open threes and they're all tentative to shoot, the offense breaks down because it's really easy to just wall up against them and just let them shoot. And if they're not going to make anything, then you're not even worried about them shooting and you can be worried only about stopping LeBron, and he is really viably the only offensive threat on that roster when Anthony Davis is out. And on the other hand, you have Devin Booker scoring 45 points, so it doesn't even matter what Chris Paul does. Booker had one of his best nights of his career, uh, or probably his best other than the time that he scored 70 points, But and, and I think you could even make the argument that based on the stakes, this is an even better night, but... Overall, credit to the Suns. Uh, if there was one way that they would win the series, this was definitely the way that I envisioned it. Uh, the Lakers having a complete inability to guard Devin Booker, a complete inability to shoot the three, and a, and a complete inability to keep Anthony Davis on the floor. Yeah, you also missed uh, missed the injury to Contavious Caldwell Pope, who I mentioned it earlier. Oh, okay, yes, yeah, but... and and you're right. De- Devin Booker looked in that game six looked like Dame Lillard on the floor, the way he was hitting threes, and they were just raining them. That game was basically over. Game six was over in the first quarter. Although I will say that um, the Lakers, it's very interesting. I remember last year they were so highly touted for their small ball, for when the Rockets played small ball against them. They completely limited JaVale McGee's minutes. Dwight Howard didn't play a single minute in two of the games in the series after they lost game one, I believe. Uh, And that adjustment probably propelled them to a really easy series win, which let them be rested and let them win the rest of the, win, win the bubble. Um, 
I didn't see the coaching adjustments this time. Uh, Devin Booker played really well in Game 1, and they did the same exact thing in Game 2. He just missed a few more shots. Uh, he kept getting fouled on random things. They kept falling uh, falling victim to his little stop in the middle of the paint and let somebody run over you from the backside kind of a thing. Uh, he kept reigning in threes, and in Game 6, he was actually at the best he was in the entire series, which that's probably not how you want things to go uh, because... Look, unless it's Dame Lillard who's just hitting step backs from 30 feet, you should be able to mitigate someone to get a little bit worse, maybe not worse, but keep it the same level throughout a series rather than get astronomically better by the last game when you need him to be the worst. So I don't know what it was with the Lakers. I wish I wish I was smart enough to analyze how to, how to guard Devin Booker. I'm sure someone knows how to do it. I'm sure Coach Spolstra could figure it out if he was the coach of the Lakers. But unfortunately, he's a coach of the team that got swept in the East. Yep, and we're now going to have two new conference champions and obviously a new NBA champion. You want to head to the last, the, to the next series, Denver against Portland? Yep, in this series we had, uh, I had, I should say, Portland in seven games, which is incorrect. You had Denver in seven games. Uh, they, I guess, you didn't get the amount of games, but they did win the series in six games. I will say this series uh, was over as soon as the refs, I don't know if they actually messed it up or not. It, it was very hard to tell. But as soon as they gave the out-of-bounds call to Denver last night in Game 6, I believe the game was tied or Denver was up by two. But they gave an out-of-bounds call to uh, Denver. Portland challenged. Uh, and then they still kept it with Denver. It looked like it was Portland's ball, although I will say... I don't know because they probably have more looks in the replay center than I do watching the game on TV. But maybe. Uh, but I will. I will say, if that call had gone Portland's way, they get the ball. They're down by two instead of four. They're not demoralized from a quote unquote bad call. And actually, what happened immediately after that, I there there's got to be a term for this somewhere. But Portland looked like they were just hunting for fouls from the refs because they felt like they need to be validated that they can get calls too. And it just completely unraveled, and then all of a sudden they were down by eight and had to call a timeout. And now you're looking at four minutes left, down eight against Nikola Jokic, uh, and you have Nurkic with five fouls, who picked up, by the way, four fouls all in the third quarter. Um, two of them pretty cheap ones, too. Look, there's just no getting back into the game, and look, it looked like Dame Lillard also had his fair share of uh, fatigue, I guess is what... Many people will attribute it to, but he had his uh, he had his struggles in Game Six. But look, he played every every minute of Game Five he, double overtime, is except that for yes, and and he uh, he played all but six minutes in that game. <laughs> so uh, I think I think you can definitely chalk that up to fatigue. Also, if you look at shooting numbers, you think the dude's going to shoot eighty percent all the time? No. Uh, if there were ever somebody that I would pick to do it, it'd be him. But. When he scores 55 on 17 of 24 shooting, you should not expect him to do it again the next night. And look, Portland just had nobody nobody else step up the entire rest of the series, excluding Carmelo Anthony in Game 1 and the shooters in Game 1. So I think that's why they lost that one. But I'm going to move on now to the last series. This series actually is the only series that has not yet ended, uh, but we still wanted to talk about these predictions because obviously we'll be talking about every game in depth on our next podcast. But... I had the Clippers, we actually both had the Clippers in seven to begin with, um, and I also wanted to maybe pick Dallas for the narrative, and then I changed my pick to Dallas in six. Uh, is it possible that that happens? Yes, they have an opportunity to do that tonight at home. 
Uh, Mark Cuban was warming up in a tank top, so of course they're going to bring out their secret weapon to stop the Clippers' small ball lineup, starting Mark Cuban and Boban Marjanovic, uh, <laughs> and that's going to be how they beat the Clippers. The, yeah, I don't think we're going to see. You think Mark Cuban's going to be dressed for the game? Of course. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, they're, they're 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 well. He's their secret weapon. Their not so secret weapon is Luka Doncic, who's absolutely dominating the series and is quite frankly making an argument for. Uh, he's actually making an argument to upstage Dame as the top playoff performer in the league because, look, the Clippers built this team around the best two wing defenders in the game, as they would call themselves. Well, then how does Luka drop 40 points going into every single fourth quarter, it seems like, ever, and ends up with 42-14-8? and Somebody's got to explain that to me, because if they're supposed to be the best two wing defenders, why can't they stop a wing player who's, frankly, if you consider the fact that Porzingis had less than 10 in Game 5, he's frankly pretty much playing on his own. Yeah, I think you also want to know how it's possible that Kawhi Leonard doesn't touch the ball on a critical game-ending possession in a critical swing game. Well, it wasn't the game-ending possession. You're referencing the one that was about two or three possessions before the game was over. But, uh, yeah, there was, there was there was a little fast break that the Clippers had off a missed shot. Well, I think they were down two with about 30 seconds left. And the ball went from Paul George to Terrence Mann. By the way, that should never happen on the last play itself. Don't, don't exclude Paul George from this. It doesn't even matter if it goes to Kawhi. It's got to be in one of those two's hands. Uh, not Terrence Mann and not Nick Batum. Terrence Mann got into the lane, had no idea what he was doing, almost traveled, and then it threw a wild pass Nick Batum, who then missed a probably a five-foot push shot, and then nobody could get the rebound. The da- Dallas got the rebound. Tim Hardaway did, knocked down two free throws. Kawhi airballed a three from the corner, and Rajon Rondo looked like looked looked at him uh, with a pretty crazy look. I would I would uh, I would add for them being teammates, but in the end. Clippers lose that game. We'll see what happens in Game 6. All right. Well, uh, we will talk about uh, what happened in Game 6, and if Mark Cuban um, does put on a jersey and play in the game, you can be sure we will talk about it in our next (laughs) podcast, which will be on Monday, June 7th, where we will have our weekly look back at the latest NBA action uh, and see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and talk about any performance by Mark Cuban um, in any sport, for that matter. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB power rankings on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.